welcome to our weekly Church on the Rock podcast. For more information, visit us at churchak.org, download our Church on the Rock AK app, or like us on our Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy our weekly podcast. All right. Well, today, first of all, before we go and get into the message here, uh, I got the top 10 list of why it's good to be a man. Man, you want to hear what this is? You want to hear what? You, want, you guys want to hear? Okay, let me give you the first one. You know stuff about tanks. I don't know who came up with that one. Does anybody here know about tanks? A few people, okay. Well, you can go to the bathroom without a support group. That's pretty good. Here's another one, number three. If someone forgets to invite you to something, he can still be your friend. Number four, you can drop by and see a friend without bringing a little gift. See, it's, it's, it's a lot cheaper to be a guy. Number five, if another guy shows up at the same party in the same outfit, you might become lifelong buddies. <laughs> okay, here's another one, number six. One wallet, one pair of shoes, one color, all seasons. So true. Number seven, there's always a game on somewhere. Number eight, your pals can be trusted never to trap you with. So, do you notice anything different? You know, you know that happens, guys, when wives, you, you know, terror comes over you. You turn white. <laughs> You're frozen. You don't know what to do. Okay, number nine, if, someone, if something mechanical doesn't work, you get to bash it with a hammer and throw it across the room. How many guys have really wanted to do that? Man, I have so wanted to do that. Yes. Well, here's the last one. I, I really like this one. Number 10, you can do your nails with a pocket knife. <laughs> so reminds me of my dad. I grew up, you know, Catholic, and, and it was often that he, he always had this little pocket knife, and he kept that thing razor sharp. And every now and then during church, he'd, he'd pop that baby out. And he'd be discreetly doing his nails. I'd watch. I never did pick up that habit, though. Probably because I'm up here. It'd be kind of weird me up here with a knife going, hey, yeah, no, Jesus, and, you know, it'd be kind of bizarre. I want to talk to you today about what do you, what do you want to do? What do you do when you want to quit? I'm beginning this message with a question, Mark. Have you, ever, have you ever wanted to quit? Have you ever been in situations where you had so many expectations over your life, you were just frustrated beyond, you just wanted to quit? You wanted to bail? You know, you felt inadequate, maybe too many opinions. I don't know. I, I'm sure every guy in this room at some point has felt inadequate in life. When, when, you ever enter that downward spiral and you're not sure how to get out of it? You're like, is this ever going to end? I remember when Dave Eubank came and preached on a Sunday morning. Actually, it was when we were still in the school, you know, Free Burma Rangers, Dave Eubank, and uh, one of our missionaries. And we got done, we went to lunch, and then, then he said after lunch, he says, well, I'm going to go skydiving. Okay, more power to you. I left, and he went skydiving. He went to the Palmer Airport. He, you know, he used to be a ranger, and he likes to jump out of planes, so he skydives a lot. Matter of fact, his whole family does. So he goes skydiving, and I hear later that when he went skydiving at our little local airport here, that something went wrong with his parachute, and it got tangled up, and he was in a death spin. They call it death spin. He's just, and so 
you know, this is, this is a typical day in the life of Dave Eubank, I guess. You know, he gets shot and lives, and gets shot again and lives again and whatever. And uh, so he, he pulls his pocket knife out while he's in this death spin, and he's trying to get his knife out and trying to get untangled. And so he finally cuts himself free and deploys the other chute, and he survives. I was so grateful um, that he didn't die. I told him later, I said, you come to Palmer and preach. Don't you ever go skydiving again because you're not dying on my watch because everybody's going to be mad at me for you dying out there somewhere. So anyway, that was a death spiral. You ever feel like that? There's not a lot of good options. You can't get out of it. You're tangled up. You don't know what to do. It could be really, really tough. You ever been fishing and you got your favorite lure on, the one that's catching all those fish, and it gets snagged, and you are trying everything. I mean, you're in panic. You're like, I can't lose my favorite lure. No, you're going up the river, and you're going down the river, and you're yanking this way, yanking that way, and you're trying all the techniques, you know. Nothing worked. Now, meanwhile, people all around you are pulling in fish, and you're like, all right, no good options here. I'm going to have to cut the line, cut my losses, and go forward and put on a, mourn my lost lure and put on another one. Or, or, or you, know, you, you do that one cast, and all of a sudden, <laughs> you ever have that happen? It's like this nest. Like, how did that happen? And you're trying to untangle it, you know, and your lure's out there flopping around, and it's, a, it's really bad. You finally just got to cut, cut the line, cut your losses. No good options in life sometimes. It feels like you're caught between two bad opinions. Do you hang in there or do you just quit? What do you do? I heard about this hilarious true story of this college track meet that was happening. It was, it was a, a, a track. Well, they were going to run the, the 440 sprint. You know, it's one lap around, but you have four guys running it, broken up into four sections, four quarters. So the race is really fast, lightning fast. I mean, it's done under a minute. And uh, this is a, <clears throat> a uh, four-guy race at a college, and it's a, it's a real popular, I guess, high, intense, big competition in a small town track meet. A lot of revival, rivals going on. People are packed in the stands. You know, it's one of those. Everybody knows everybody, you know, and it's going to be a big race. And so they get all people lined up, and everybody's ready to go, and the gun goes off. Pow! Guy takes off out of the out of the block, and uh, he's already on his way around, and so there's the anchor guy, and he's got one job, one job, if he could just do this one job right, and that is to pick up the starting blocks, you know, and get them out of the block, the square where they start, and so he does that, and as he picks them up, all of the uh, foot pegs fall off, and now he's trying to fumble around, and he's picking, running back and forth, picking things up, trying to get things squared away, because he's got to be in his box waiting for that baton to hit his hand so he can finish the race, right? Well, uh, he, he, he gets everything finally cleaned up, and by the time he turns around, he looks, and he sees this guy's already coming around the corner. He's like, man, i got to get going here, and it's a chilly, cold morning, so everybody's got their sweats on. So he hurries up, he takes the sweats off really fast, runs in there, and he's ready, and he finally gets there just in time to feel that baton hit his hand, and man, bam, he is off and running. And it's interesting because he, he, he starts hearing, he notices that people are just yelling a little louder than normal. He's wondering, that's kind of weird. And then he notices it's a little more chilly than normal. Then he looks down and he realizes that he, he took off a little more than just his sweats. <laughs> the guy's just out there, you know, and uh, he's kind of like, you know, it's kind of hard to hold the baton and, and 
So he didn't know what to do. He's caught between two bad options. Does he just quit? Does he run to the finish line or does he zip across the field to the safe haven of the rock of the, you know, the locker rooms? And of course, in his decision, in his mind, he says, I am getting out of here as fast as I can. So he cuts off the race, runs across the field into the locker rooms where he is safe. I don't know if you've ever been caught between two bad options. One option is to continue, one's to quit, right? Well, there's a guy in the Bible named Peter. You're all familiar with him. He, he found himself in that spot. And I think we can all identify and appreciate Peter. I don't know what it's going to be like when you get to heaven and meet Peter one day, especially for pastors, because we've preached about this guy a lot. I don't know if he's going to shake our hand and say, thanks a lot, you know, for using my life all the time. You know, it was pretty bad. And, you know, listen to you guys talk about me all the time. I don't know. Maybe he'll say, hey, good job. You know, you got it pretty close. But uh, Peter, uh, I, he, could, he could really identify. I think we all identify with him because, first of all, he was a young guy when he met Jesus, and his name was initially Simon, and he was a fisherman, and he was a tough guy. He was calloused. He was rough. He was a go-getter. He was harsh. He was cal- I mean, he was just a, you know, a bull in a china shop, uh, which really worked to his advantage the way God designed him. He was quick to step out in faith. He wasn't afraid of a lot of things. And so he was pretty successful at this, but he, this, he, he's, a, he's a man's man, and, and he, get, he meets Jesus for the first time, and it's a pretty incredible encounter because Jesus, over time, gives him a new name, calls him Peter, but he also gives him this inspiring, like, earth-shattering, compelling vision for his life. He, that Jesus says, you're going to become a fisher of men. This gripped Peter because it's like for the first time, somebody spoke to him and saw and addressed the core of who he was created to be and to become. I mean, something just ignited in him. This is who God really created me to be. This is what I've been called to do. And Jesus puts his finger on it. Well, just imagine Peter telling this story. You know, I've been out fishing all night long. Hadn't caught a thing. Not even a bite. I can't tell you how many times that's happened to us. We were out in the Sea of Galilee right over there, about 10-minute row out there. It was one of those long, dark nights. Of course, empty nets. Really frustrating when that happens. Well, the sun finally pops over the mountains, starts warming things up. The birds start to sing, warming up the chill bones. We start rowing in, gathering our nets, kind of looking forward to going home, getting some rest and having breakfast. All of a sudden, Jesus shows up. He starts asking if we caught anything. Of course, I'm a little embarrassed to say no. Haven't caught a thing. But then he says the unexpected. He says, try throwing your nets down again on the other side and you'll get a catch. I said, Master, we have been fishing all night long. Haven't caught a thing. But at your bidding, I'll put down the nets. Now, I'm thinking, look, this guy's a carpenter. He's a rabbi. He has no idea what he's talking about. This is what I really wanted to say was, look, I'm the expert here. Like, uh, I'm tired. I'm hungry. I've been out here all night long. It's morning. And by the way, it's warming up. And all the fish are escaping the heat, going to the very bottom of the sea, 
Let me tell you something. I know more about fishing than you know about the Hebrew alphabet. So don't tell me how to fish, and I'm not going to tell you how to preach. But you know what? I kept my peace. I held my cool. I, comp- I did what he said. And you wouldn't believe what happened. It was amazing. It was like a, nothing short of a miracle. In a matter of nets, uh, in minutes, our nets were, were boiling and shaking. And I looked down, and it was just massive silver everywhere. All these fish, I couldn't believe it. Our next nets were filled to capacity, and, and we started pulling them in, and we had to call all the other boats over. When they got over there, we filled their boats as well. They were filled to the brim. We thought we were going to sink. If only we had bigger boats. Then I realized this Jesus was really somebody special. He was actually, he was really the Lord. So at that at that point, I was so humbled, I didn't know what to do. I, I just fell down on my, my knees before him, and I, I said, man, I'm a wicked guy. you got to leave me. Of course, he spoke one word like he always did and drove away all my insecurities. I felt like, like he saw something in me. He actually believed in me. He said, don't fear, Simon Peter. You've been catching fish. I'm going to make you fisher of men. Come. Follow me. I was so compelled at that moment. I'll never forget that moment the first time I I met him. That day I I left and I followed him. And I didn't do it because I wanted to become famous or I wanted to have this big career or anything like that. I I just wanted to know him. I just wanted to be with him. This went on for a couple of years. It was an amazing, amazing time. I mean, things were happening, miracles. You wouldn't believe. I've got stories. Incredible. Of course, one of the disciples, though, I don't know, he was a little shady. We always wondered about him, but he got bitter, and he went south on us. He tainted everything. He accused Jesus of some things and betrayed him, and Jesus ended up, was arrested, and he was tried for treason and blasphemy, and finally he was crucified, and it just put an end to everything, everything we pinned our hopes on. Everything just blew up. And now, those who are closely connected to Jesus, including me, we're putting him on the, uh, you know, the most wanted list in Jerusalem. The worst part for me was on the night of Jesus' trial. I, I relive this every, every day. We're standing around this fire. We're warming ourselves. It was a cold night. One of these little servant girls were there and and she recognized me as one of those guys who were following Jesus. I tried to hide my face. It didn't work. She just kept pressing. You're one of those disciples with Jesus, aren't you? I told her I didn't know what she was talking about and, and, and just to leave me alone. But she just kept pressing. She kept pressing. I, I said, she said, I know, I know that you are one of the disciples, one of those guys that was with Jesus all the time. And, and I told her again, just leave me alone. I don't know what you're talking about. I've never seen that guy before. But it was the third time that really got me. She just kept pressing. And finally, I swore and I yelled, I don't know him. And she just wouldn't stop interrogating and pressing. Well, the damage was done. I heard the rooster crow, and I remember these words Jesus spoke a few days earlier. You're going to deny me three times. You're going to want to call it quits. 
you're going to want to give up. So Peter went out and he wept, having betrayed the very one who called him to be a part of something eternal, to be uh, the, the very one who believed in him and mentored him and gave his life for him. He publicly denied that he even knew him. This is a pretty, pretty painful memory for Peter. He uh, actually felt probably no better than the ones who actually murdered Jesus. Only Peter did it with his own words, his own denial. So Peter laid low for a few days. Of course, later he shares it with his other disciples, his friends, and you know how contagious uh, discouragement can be. They all just called it quits. Now, if Book of John, if you read through there, you can read about the bailout. The disciples didn't really know what to do, trying to push down the pain, the loss, the discouragement, the hopelessness, the memories. What do you do? So they went back to what they were used to doing, what they knew to do. And so they pushed out their boats and they started fishing again. Fished all night. You know how it goes, right? They caught nothing. It's quitting time. One of those exhausting ordeals over and over again. Empty nets. Although this morning was a little different. It was a little misty, a little foggy out. And, and they were pulling their nets in. And then they hear this voice that just kind of cut through the stillness. Have you caught anything? Peter said, nope, not a thing. He's trying to look through this mist. Who is, who is that asking? Then he hears, put your nets down on the other side of the boat, and there you'll have a catch. Can you hear Peter? All right, look, we're not putting our nets down again. We've been doing this all night long. Deja vu. He stops. He says, wait a minute. I've heard this before. It was a few years back, but I know that voice. John chapter 20, verse 3 through 7. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord! And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. And Peter reaches the shore, and he finds Jesus by the fire with some fish. And there's a conversation that follows. And Jesus reminds Peter of his original call, and in that short conversation, restoration begins to happen to a guy who had already called it quits. He hears the Lord speaking. And if you're here today and you're in that place, you're in that valley of decision, you need to hear Jesus talking to you this morning. You need to hear him calling you back to where he originally called you. This is the first thing we need to do. Return to your original call. 
Go back to where you started. Peter was ready to call it quits, and Jesus called him a second time by the lake, and he reminds him of his first call. Return to that compass, back to the basics, back to the first love. For Peter, it was catching men, not fish. For most of us, when we first met Jesus, he probably didn't ask you to go out and do something earth-shaking, shattering, you know, go be a missionary somewhere, or start a new career, or do something crazy. Or, you know, for most of us, it's just simply this. You meet Jesus, it's like, wow, this is amazing. Now Jesus is speaking to me, and he says, just follow me, and just allow me to work in your life, and find yourself in me. Find out who you are truly in me. Find out what life is really about now from my perspective. Come to me and let's start at ground level, right? Ground zero. Start right here with the nuts and bolts of life. I'm going to show you how to take your steps from this day forward. It's real basic, right? It's real simple. It's real plain. It's just coming to Jesus. It's returning to Jesus. This message is just straightforward, practical, what you need to do when you're in that position. Come follow me. That's where you find yourself. Because in life, you can accumulate a whole bunch of barnacles. That's what happens to boats. And it begins to drag the boat. If over time, if you do not cut those barnacles off, clear the boat, then it will eventually take it down. It's like those little leeches that tend to attach themselves to our lives, right? And they begin to suck our blood, suck the life out of us a little bit at a time. Now it's, now it's me and Jesus plus this over here, or this relationship, or this habit, or this worry, or this concern, and we just get loaded down. Have you ever been to that place where you think, how did I get so distracted? I feel like I'm dragging bottom. Barnacles. Is Jesus enough for you? That's a good question. Or is it Jesus in that relationship I know I shouldn't be in? Or is it Jesus in control or Jesus in my reputation or Jesus in whatever I've, I've added on and I need to cut that stuff away? Sometimes I don't think we realize that Jesus is all we need until it's Jesus is all we have. We settle for other things. We settle for a lie. When, when you know, often when you meet someone for the first time, it's interesting because you get to know them and you introduce yourself and you know, you exchange your name, and pretty soon then the conversation comes up, well, what do you do? And if whatever we're doing is going well, then, then we feel pretty good about it. Why is that? Because we, for some reason, instead of Jesus, we get wrapped around whatever's going well in our life. It becomes kind of our identity. You know, if, if the family's going well, then I'm well, and if it's not, then I'm not. And if my bank account's good, then I'm good, and if it's not, then I'm not. But what about, what about cutting all of that away a little bit and just how is life with you and Jesus? That's where our identity ultimately needs to be wrapped around. If the devil can get you to put all your eggs in one basket, then... Work, relationship, whatever it may be, then then he'll he'll try to get you to do that. As long as as long as he can get you to lean on something other than Jesus for your identity and your well being, it, it eventually takes us down. It, it it eventually causes us to wander. We just came out of a series in Numbers. It was called Wanderers because the children of Israel could not connect themselves fully to their God. 
to Jehovah. A lot of distractions, a lot of other connections. And it caused them to wander for 40 years. And people can wander outside of Jesus. Is Jesus enough for you? Is Jesus your original call to follow him? Don't lose your way. Somebody needs to hear that today. I really believe that. You move outside of him and you get lost. And nothing really works. Because when you move outside of Jesus Christ, you're going to become something you were never intended to become. We need to understand that God's not running after or loving some future version of you. He loves you right now, where you're at, and wants to walk with you. The next thing we need to do, and this is simple, run to Jesus. Run to the Lord. Run to him. Run to God, not away. Peter jumped in the water. What did he do? He swam as fast as he could to that beach. You know what he could have said? Boys, put your oars in the water. Let's get out of here. I can't face him. Not after what I did. He ran. He swam. He swam to. Look what the prodigal son did when he left home. He left his father, left everything. He got out there. When he came to his senses, what was his first reaction? Finally, I got to run home. I got to run home to dad. I got to go home to my father. He's the only one I can save me out of this mess. I got to come clean. You run to the Lord. You know, growing up, my brother, he was a couple of years older than me and bigger and stronger. And, uh, you know, we fought. And um, I guess, you know, that's just what you do. And uh, so finally, my dad got kind of sick of that. And so he says, you know what? He, one day he brought home these boxing gloves. They're big boxing gloves, big old padded things, you know. And he says, you boys, how much you put these on when you're fighting? He says, oh, great. I love you. So we were pretty excited about fighting now. And we just had a rule. We kind of made a rule between us. Can't hit from the neck up, all right? Got to be here down. And we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah right. <laughs> sure. Yeah, how's that, how long is that going to last? And so we would get those things on. We'd be duking it out, you know. And, of course, he would always get the cheap shot in because he's bigger and stronger and just pow, just knocked me across the room. And I would get so mad at him, man. At that point, the gloves would come off. I'd toss those gloves off. Yeah, I'd come in before he could get his gloves off. And I'd usually get in a good something somewhere. I'd get them good. And, and eventually, not all the time, but sometimes I could hurt him. And that was always a huge victory for me to actually hurt this guy. But when I hurt him, I knew, because I knew his temper, he would see red. And it was time to run. And I would run as fast as my legs could carry me to my mom. She was only five foot one, but I'm telling you what, when I got to my mom, I was safe. It was like, ah! And you know what? He couldn't do anything, man. He was so mad. He just wanted to. And, and I just hung around with her for a while until he cooled down. Because it was funny because he had a short memory, too. He was, after a while, he was okay with it, you know, and he'd go on. And I wouldn't get retaliated, you know. And uh, so that's what you do. You run to God. You run to the one who can keep you safe, right? The next thing you do, you cry out to God. The most spiritual prayer, and you've heard this before, is help me, Lord. Has anybody in here prayed that prayer? Help me, Lord. I got nothing else to say. When you're ready to call it quits, you, you don't need a detailed list of instructions. And sometimes we don't even need two hours of counseling. We just need Jesus. Run to him. If we just learn to run to Jesus, he's got all the answers. He's got the peace. He has the joy. He's got everything that you need in his life and who he is for us. You run to Jesus. The Bible says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord is going to get saved. 
Sometimes when you get saved out of a predicament, you run to Jesus. Lord, I don't know how to be a dad right now. What are you going to do? In this situation, I'm just going to run to Jesus. That's all I can do. If we got too much pride or too much in us to do that, then we need to empty ourselves and run to Jesus. It's a good thing to do. Proverbs 18.10 says that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs to it and is safe. The next thing we do, we have to talk about this, is you got to resist the devil because this life is not a playground. It is a battlefield. And we do face an unseen enemy. We have to come to that realization. We have to admit that. We can't live in denial that there's something out there that is always 100% opposing us and is against us. And we need to learn how to stand and fight, especially as men. You need to learn how to call on God and rebuke the devil. Tell the devil to shut up. That's one being you could tell to shut up in Jesus' name. And we need to use the authority Christ has given us because you're seated with Christ in heavenly places. That's your position. And we need to remind ourselves of that in the midst of the pressure and tell him to shut up because the devil is talking to us and we need him to be quiet. Right? He, he's going to lie to you and tell you you can't run to God. Why? He's going to say, no, you need to keep your dirty distance. You've done too much You've, you've made too many mistakes. You've done. Why does he do that? Because he hates God and he hates you. And he knows if, you, if, you're, if you're on to his lies and you run to Jesus and ignore him, the great things are going to happen. Restoration will happen. Victory will happen. Progress will happen. Forward movement will happen in your life. You've got to run to him. You know, Judas made a terrible choice. You look at Peter and Judas, both of them, both betrayed Jesus, right? But Judas' story ended. Peter's continued. One hit a roadblock, one found a door. What was the difference? Judas made a terrible choice. He allowed the devil, the accuser, to lie to him and tell him there's no more hope. You need to end it. And that's what he did. Peter didn't do that. He let Jesus deal with his sin, and it changed his life. And he has a story to tell. And we all glean from it all the time, and it's powerful. So who are you going to listen to when you're ready to quit, Jesus or the devil? Because I'm telling you, there's only two voices talking. And the Bible says that my sheep, they hear my voice. They know my voice. Jesus is talking to you. We've got to tune in. Run to God. You know, Adam and Eve ran from the very one in the universe who could help them and heal them. And they ran. Got to cry out to God. Got to run to God. Got to resist the devil. You know, there's a story I heard, uh, I read this, that these two guys were at the top of the Empire State Building, and uh, they decided to go out to check out the viewing deck. So they're out there checking things out. Boy, the wind's blowing. The guy next to him says, hey, you know, if you jump off this thing, about the 10th floor, that wind will catch you and pop you right back up to the viewing deck. I've done it. Happens every time. It's amazing. The guy goes, what are you talking? Are you serious? Yeah, watch. Ah, he jumps. About the 10th floor, boom, bam. He's right back up on the viewing deck. The guy goes, whoa, that was amazing. He says, yeah, happens every time. I'm telling you, it's awesome. You should try it. No. Really? You think I should? No. Yeah, go ahead. No. I don't know. The guy says, okay, here I go. Whoa. He jumps over the railing. Ah, 10th floor. Uh-oh, 9th floor. 
eighth floor, no wind. He and the street meet, not good. So the other guy returns to the pub upstairs, and he's kind of snickering, and he takes his notebook out and makes a little check mark. The bartender looks at him and says, you really need to stop showing off, Superman. I know that's corny. I know it's bad. What I'm trying to say is you can get pushed to the edge, but only you can choose to jump over. When you get to that point of quitting, you run to God. Here's the question again. Is Jesus really enough for you? Is Jesus enough? Jesus told Peter on the beach when he was restoring him, he says, I want you to feed my sheep. Return to your original call. Move forward in faith. We talked about this, I don't know if it was a couple weeks ago. We always connect to God through faith, not your feelings. It's through faith. The righteous, the just shall live by faith. They shall. That he is a rewarder of those who earnestly and diligently seek him. Because without faith, it's impossible to please him. A little bit of faith. A mustard seed. you got to squint to see that seed. Oh, I think I can think I can see it. That much faith right there pleases God. And he does great things through it. Faith is very important. And when you're in that situation where you're ready to call it quits, you've got to dig down deep. You've got to grab a hold of faith and say, I am going to stand and I'm going to run to God. I'm going to call a call me. I'm going to believe. I'm not going to be shaken through this thing. I am going to trust him. God, your word says faith pleases you. That catches your attention. That does something. That changes things. You look and you see faith and you get excited. That's going to be in me. Even if it's so small, i got to squint to see it. Even if i got to say, God, I believe me, but help me in my unbelief. You move forward in faith. That's the last one. You move forward in faith. Peter didn't feel like putting his nets back in the water. He'd been fishing all night long. He did it anyway. He moved forward in faith. Remember, Peter's the one who got out of the boat and walked on water. He always extra, he had this faith thing in his life. It was amazing. He, he was walking on water while all the other theologians were still in the boat. We're going, hmm, how does he do that? Well, he did sink a little bit, but he came back holding Jesus' hand. Still walking on the water, I'll have you know. And so here it is, discouragement. Discouragement can come. How, how, how you feel or how discouragement or how tired you may be, you still have to move forward in faith. If God asks you something, to do something, you do it. I worked all night long, God. I don't know. No fish. Just put your net down. See what happens. See what happens. Sometimes you've got to revisit the things that you came up empty on the first time. Sometimes it takes faith to go back and try it again. I can't tell you how many times I've tried stuff and it didn't work, and I went back and tried it again with a little bit of faith and trust. And it's like the light goes on and something happens. Happens on mechanical issues sometimes. I'm not much of a mechanic. So I really pray when I have to work on something. I could tell you, I just had two things about a year ago, back to back. One was on a four-wheeler and one was on my car, where God just said, I just felt this impression to go around and check something, and I found the issue. And believe me, I, I don't have that capability. Uh, it, it's amazing. You know, you've looked in those places before, and God says, just go back and trust me. Sometimes we've got to do that. Might be discouraged in your marriage or relationship or whatever it may be. You go back and you try it again. But you keep 
you say, well, I keep coming up empty. Well, Jesus says, go back, try it again, expect different results. If you do it my way, you put your net on the other side, whatever God's saying. Boy, I tell you, it's in those moments where you really want to lean in and hear what he's saying. What are the details, God? What are you saying? And he'll tell you. You know, at the fire on the beach when Peter was standing there with Jesus, I'll have the worship team come out. He was standing there with Jesus, and Jesus didn't ask him about his denial or his betrayal or his failure. He never brought it up. I just marvel at Jesus. He didn't rub it in his face. Why does he not rub it in? Because Jesus just rubs it out. That's what he does. He rubs it out. You know, he doesn't... You guys, you know how it is when you've messed up. You don't need God to tell you. You know what you did. And God just wants you to move beyond now and trust him. He knows where we're at. He just asked Peter, do you love me more than these? More than what? These fish? Peter said, yeah, I do. Then feed my sheep. Go back to what I asked you to do in the first place. And Jesus wasn't just talking about fish here. He was addressing a lot of stuff in that conversation. It's about everything that we allow to come in and separate us from our relationship with Jesus Christ. Christ from success to pride to relationships to failure to reputation to everything else. Fish tend to feed our appetites and all these other things in life, tend, we tend to think they're going to satisfy our soul, feed our appetite, quench our thirst. But you and I know better than that, that Jesus is the only one that can truly, truly quench your thirst and satisfy your appetite. He is the only one that can do that. Nothing else can feed our soul, our spirit, like Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible says, oh, come and taste and see. Just taste and see that the Lord is good. And, and he says, blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They're the ones that are going to be they're the ones that are going to be satisfied. But you can't get that outside of Jesus. Only Jesus. Is Jesus enough? And, and sometimes we just got to come back to him. You have those seasons in life where, okay, God, I, I get it. I, I'm back. 100%. You got my attention. None of those other cheap, those cheap substitutes worked. I always came up wanting never have with you, Jesus. You're always so good. You always satisfy. You're amazing. You're the only one. He truly is the fountain of life. It says, when you come to him from your innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Streams. Because he is your source. He's the only thing that can do that. Yes, Jesus, you are enough. He is enough. Amen? Jesus. No plan B. No, no plan B. Jesus. Let's stand together. Thank you, Lord. Let's just take a moment and <clears throat> pray for a moment here. Will you join me? Hallelujah. Father, we're so grateful again for Jesus. Your son that you sent so much hope when we follow Jesus. There's that joy that is unspeakable. There's that peace that surpasses our understanding. We don't get it, but it's there. There's answers that happen when we've got nothing but questions. 
when there's spirits chased away by, by your love that seems to secure us wherever we go. Lord, this morning, I'm not sure where everybody's at. I know we're in different places. Some are in great places. Some are slugging it out. Some are in a battle. Some are, have a lot of questions. Some are here ready to call it quits. But Lord, you're talking to us this morning. Holy Spirit, you're talking to those that feel like they're in that death spin. And you're saying, look to me and I'll pull you out of it. Jesus, today we just make a fresh surrender. You just say that to the Lord right now. I just freshly surrender my life to you, Jesus. I'm coming back to you, back to the basics. Lord, I, I just, I don't need a lot of uh, talk. I, I just need you. I, I just need your peace, your presence, your reassurance. Lord, I got steps to take tomorrow and the days ahead. And I'm coming back to you and saying, Jesus, I'm going to do it with you. I'm taking, I'm, I'm coming back to the basics. I'm coming back to my my call to follow you, follow you. Jesus, you're enough. I'm sorry for the cheap substitutes. Lord, I, I renounce those things and I, I just need you, Jesus. I confess that today. You might be here, you might be here as a dad. You might be frustrated in some areas of your life. You feel like you failed in some areas of your leadership or call. I get it, we've all been there, we've all done it, we've all made mistakes. But that doesn't define you. Who you are in Jesus defines you. Your heart surrendered to him is what's going to define you in the days ahead. And I say, God, I surrender as a dad. I surrender as a grandparent. I surrender as a brother. I surrender Jesus as a leader. I say, work your good work in me, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for your grace that is like an ocean. It's ours today within our grasp that surrounds us. Lord, you're so good. You're so good, Jesus. I pray everyone here today would understand how good you are. In Jesus' mighty and powerful name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more of our podcasts and to discover how you can connect, visit us at churchak.org or download our Church on the Rock AK app from either iTunes or Google Play.